as women leaders who are leading a change and stepping up to that, there are a number of things I think to keep in mind. One is to draw on the skills that they have and recognize where they may not have all the skills required. You never know what you're going to run into with this. So scoping it out and knowing where you're good and where you're going to need backup is an honest appraisal. Are you leading change in your organization? Maybe you are wondering what it's really like to lead during a transformation. Welcome to When Women Lead Change with Danielle Hawk. Get insights from senior and executive level women across various industries and sectors as we spotlight their journey in leading significant change in their respective organizations. You will also hear from subject matter experts in the areas of strategic change, project management and human resources on what it takes to thrive in this role. Because leading during steady state is not the same as leading during change. And now, here's your host, Danielle Hawk. Welcome to another episode of When Women Lead Change. This week, we have the rare opportunity to have Wendy Axelrod as our guest who will share her story of helping a senior leadership team level up their skills as they led a major transformation. Some of you may be familiar with Wendy and her work. Wendy is the author of Make Talent Your Business, How Exceptional Managers Develop People While Getting Results. She is also the author of an upcoming book that will be released this year called 10 Steps to Successful Mentoring. Wendy has decades of experience in helping organizations increase their development efforts, working directly with thousands of managers and mentors in workshops and coaching engagements in the U.S. and other countries. As a former HR executive, she led the functions of leadership development, organization change, talent management, strategic human resource planning, and guided the company through a significant multi-year organizational change process. Again, we are so excited to have someone with such an extensive background to speak to our podcast listeners. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Wendy. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Danielle. So Wendy, let's jump in. Please describe the work you engage in with clients, just to give our listeners a little bit of background on how you are working with organizations and and with leaders. Wonderful. Happy to do that. One of the primary things that I do is I work with clients to create actually a more developmental culture. I help managers learn what it truly takes to make every day a development day for their team members. Most managers actually believe they're already doing this, but they miss the mark. So when leaders manage their people with development in mind, things really start to change. There are increases not only in the skills of their employees, but it also changes engagement, retention, performance, and even the culture that they are managing. Because when people on the team are in a growth mood, things are really humming. Colleagues help each other to excel. They get a bigger perspective on the work they're doing. They're more thoughtful about their work. So this is a bit of a, I want to describe a little bit of the foundational process that involves the managers, because I know we'll be getting into a bit more of this in depth when I talk about the case today. They get into a learning and then applying cycle. And you'll hear more about that, but I actually have managers testing out their new mindsets, their new behaviors, 
and then talking about it with each other, even getting coached on that uh, so that they are adapting these, they're using them, they're refining them, and they're changing the culture uh, that is all around them. Additionally, what I do is I'll work with a team of leaders, but then I also work with their top leader and hopefully human resources to make sure all the processes, policy systems are all aligned. Okay, I'm going to cap off this part of the discussion by saying that because I've written a book and also dozens of articles that back up this process, there's a roadmap accessible to the client and their whole system. And they use that on a daily basis. So the book is Make Talent Your Business, How Exceptional Managers Develop People While Getting Results. And it describes five research-based practices that managers who are exceptional at developing others and teams, what those are. So that is sort of the basis of of the change process I'm going to be featuring today. Thank you so much, Wendy. Our listeners are really in for a treat to have someone with your extensive background and expertise and knowledge and in bringing that to this conversation of leading change. So why don't we go into a change effort that you supported? Tell us a little bit about what was changing, how many people did it impact, what was at stake? Let me first set the scene for our listeners. Uh, I want to start with talking about what the company was facing and then go into the specifics of a large division of that company where, where I led that effort. I was working with a North American division of a very large global pharma company. The company actually had decades of prosperity and had tremendous growth, both organically and especially through acquisition. But when I came on the scene, things had already started to change and the changes were greatly threatening the standing of this company in the marketplace. So the CEO had put out a call for change and he broadcast that through a new vision, a new mission that actually called for some dramatic transformation. Just to highlight a few of the factors that were happening right there. There was a lot of turbulence in the healthcare market. There were lots of shifts in the economy and global economy in which this uh, pharma company had its business. And there was hyper competition in the marketplace. And frankly, I could go on and on. I think most of the listeners are familiar with the dynamics of the pharma industry recently, and that's where I was working. So within the company, I worked with a senior vice president and his HR business partner. Both were very smart, really talented, tuned in, and willing to try new things. They were collaborators with their own group of senior team who reported to this client leader, and they were collaborators really with the entire organization of hundreds of professionals. The leader and the business partner were working on the leading edge of making changes. They had engaged their own leaders of that organization, actually in a number of discussions to determine, you know, what would be successful going on, going forward, what they needed to reprioritize. And the key thing that they realized was the relationship with customers. They needed to move away from 
a formula and a way of working and a way of selling and marketing that was all around the numeric goals of volume and sales and move toward being the clients, more trusted partners. So their role in all of this was not only for themselves to change, but to develop and enable change of their frontline leaders so that we were using a cascading approach. And you asked Danielle about what was at risk. They risked really losing future sales. And importantly, they risked losing feedback from their clients that could help strengthen them to have an open, trusting dialogue with clients. So they wanted to transition to a new operating model that would now be relationship-based. And they knew they had so much to learn because they had years and years of embedded habits that needed to be broken. Mind you that for decades, people in these roles had been incentivized to go for the numbers above all else. So this would need to be changing behaviors at all levels of the organization involving hundreds and hundreds of employees. And at the top, I would be supporting the lead for the charge to make the change. And that's why they they brought me in. The effort started with a conversation and an open discussion of this leader with his top team. And he really identified the need for a change in behavior and identified a readiness to learn a new way to operate um, that would result in stronger relationships. So since I know many of your listeners are, are leaders themselves of this change process, I actually called out what was in this message. So I'm looking at an outline of the script that this leader used. And what he said was that the change that we're talking about is here to stay. We will need to shift how we operate and our incentive plan will be a strong force for this change. And so the incentive plan was changing. A lot is going on with all of your reportables, so first-line leaders, and your involvement to support and develop those first-line leaders is absolutely critical for success. We could let them, you know, go try it out on their own, but we have no intention of doing this. We're all going to be helping them. So what we see is that our own roles need to change. The leader then provided his own story. He gave a past example of what it was like when he was being managed and what the behaviors of his own boss were. And then he talked about what needed to change, how that would look different. And he identified some of the best practices of leadership that we saw around the company. And then he asked his team to then describe what would need to be different about themselves and about their people to embed new behaviors, to have new kinds of relationships with their, with their customers. So that was sort of the start of all of this. And then the effort that I brought in was a series of short uh, workshops that were actually tucked into live meetings that were taking place. This team was all across North America. So on the occasion, and we sped up the occasions of how often they got together, I would be meeting with them and my, and my partner to talk about what behaviors, you know, very specific. Again, the roadmap was in the book. 
So what behaviors needed to change, how they could field test it, use it. We would then come back together as a group to talk about successes, where there were their roadblocks. They also got individual coaching on all of this. So a cascading approach. They were the centerpiece and their ability to push it forward, be willing to do it was all important. So I'm going to say there were about 15 leaders in all that were involved. And then they were cascading down to their reports. I would say that the top executive, the leader involved, who was my client, participated really fully. And when he actually did his field work of trying, of testing out the new behaviors, the new mindsets, actually using them, he was actually showing his change behaviors to his team members because they would be ones that he were, he was working with to make them more developmental, more change ready and so forth. So he was in full view to everyone. It sounds like, Wendy, this was a very complex change and there were so many um, factors in play here. And what I heard you say was that basically how they were going about business, how they were interacting with customers and how they would be rewarded was changing significantly. And fortunately, it sounds like the leader, your client, who was leading the charge it sounds like that individual was up for the challenge and, and ready and willing to roll up their sleeves to make sure that these behaviors were, were, were modeled at the top. So, yeah, I do want to hear from your perspective what in this context, in this type of situation, what was most challenging about it? Sure, absolutely. You know, I'd like to share, too, what was sometimes challenging for me as well in supporting that change. I think um, there were several things that, that were going on. The biggest one, I think, is the internal cultural norms. And they were huge barrier to overcome. You know, many of these 15 leaders that I was working with, they were quite seasoned. They believed in the tried and true methods they had used over the years. Some of them, it was hard to hear that things needed to be different because they had had so much success. It had always worked for them in, in the past. That was number one. I'm also going to say that the company had so many initiatives going on. It was a mega company and there were a lot of things going on. So there was a lot of competition for their time and their focus on, on this. It was easy for those who weren't trusting that this effort would have an impact to be cynical and uh, to simply wait this out. They're going to wait and see whether this is really required of them. They had plenty on their plate already to do. This was asking them to do things differently with their people, how they spent their time, what they looked at, how they measured progress of their people. You know, I think that on the team, there were a number of people that were sort of staying put. The senior VP of the division himself had to model the new behaviors and approaches that were being called for. And he put himself under a bit of a microscope. I think that was good. But it also was a challenge for him to sort of feel like he was on all the time. So he was bombarded. He still had to make the goals that were there. 
and carry this forward. So nothing new about that. Whenever any of us lead change efforts, we've got to maintain and we've got to make the change. And in my view, making the change means changing behavior. That's how change um, becomes apparent. Well, thanks for sharing that. That gives a, a really good, uh, complete picture. And, you know, I'm quite fascinated by the fact that the organization invested in the additional intervention and support in terms of this change effort. It's not often I run across engagements where there is intentional focus on helping the leaders, equipping them in creating this as a development opportunity to lead the change, but also to transform the culture. So I think this is, yeah, this is a great example. I agree. I thought it was very impressive for them to bring in this effort. And they, and it was all on account of this leader who I consider very effective. He actually extended this engagement by the frequency of one-on-one coaching with each of these 15 people. So initially we said beginning, middle, and end, and this effort was to be anywhere from three to five months long. And then he said, no, I want to do it much more frequently. Uh, let's have them get regular coaching as part of this so that, you know, you, Wendy, you're in touch and Jeannie was my partner on this. Jeannie, you'll be in touch to ensure, you know, whatever obstacles they're encountering, they're getting the support that they need. So impressive for sure that they were doing this. It sounds like this leader got a lot of things right. Is there anything that you felt like or a place where this leader could have been stronger or maybe pushed uh, themselves a little bit more, stretched themselves? I would say about this leader that he didn't always work closely with his own leader. This was a cultural norm. You know, he was a top executive. He was taking this on himself. He was doing this internally in his large division. And the people who he reported to in the company did not necessarily know very much about what was going on. So he had a lot of demands on him. He did not share upward. They were not aware, so they could not support him over time. That was one of the things. Now, in the cascading notion here, he sort of left his people alone to do it. So he would often, with the people who reported to him, he was not checking with them probably as frequently as he should. He sort of left them on their own and without accountability to him and reporting on progress, it was easy for them to let their behaviors slip. And if his direct team members, some of them were not changing, the ultimate target, which was the first line leaders, they certainly weren't playing their part in getting new things accomplished because they weren't getting the signal. So he needed to support his team more and he needed more support from above. I think, again, in a company where Work was done division by division with not a lot of cross-play. You could be somewhat isolated. I also wondered what other divisions would pick up this sort of behavior change in the way that they were working with their customers because sometimes the customers were the same 
So two divisions could have the same customers for different kinds of products. And now there's a change going on from this leader's organization and not elsewhere. And it could cause confusion and not get to the ultimate goal of a relationship-based kind of interplay with the customers that was desired. So I think those were a couple of the big areas where he had missed opportunity. Mm, yeah, and that, that's a great description in terms of there's so many different aspects when you're in a high-profile effort like that and the ways in which leaders do have to manage up to maintain that coalition of support, but also just having a very strategic systems thinking mindset to even see this is a significant change that's taking place in this division. But to your point, our customers are interacting with other parts of this enterprise. And how does that affect their experience if another division is not adopting this behavior? I would say that sometimes we believe that the change effort is just happening right where we're, right where we're putting the energy in. And there's so much ripple effect and there's so many results that happen in other places on account of it. And we always need to be in touch with what our stakeholders, our ultimate stakeholders are going through in every direction. So for this leader, His ultimate stakeholders were his management team, the top management team, his reportables staff, so going further down into the organization, the customers. He needed to think through all of those interactions and recognize what he wanted as the end result with all of them, not just where he was targeting his energy, which was the change behavior of his team and the team below. He needed to look at the whole constellation and have expectation about that and share that with his team so that they understood, you know, the multiplicity of of what goes on when change really happens and the ripple effects. Yeah, thanks. That's nicely well put, Wendy. You know, our listeners, some of them are in the midst of leading change right now. Others, though, are anticipating being tapped on the shoulder and being thrown a Frisbee. And I say a Frisbee, not a football, because many of our listeners are women. And I, I want to know from you, what should they be thinking about when taking on a role like this and being asked to lead in this capacity? What should they consider? As women leaders who are leading a change and stepping up to that, there are a number of things I think to keep in mind. One is to draw on the skills that they have, and recognize where they may not have all the skills required. You never know what you're going to run into with this. So scoping it out and knowing where you're good and where you're going to need backup is an honest appraisal of getting ready. The other thing that is really mightily important are great, transparent, open relationships a couple trusted colleagues or someone that you're working with on this to give you feedback, to help you work through some of the obstacles. So having a ready, small team of people who can back you up, can give you insight, give you perspective, give you a place to 
think things through and identify what steps might be next would be great. I would never go into a change process like this without thinking through every phase and anticipating. It's the old story from how innovation occurred. I believe it was at Sony where the person who came up with the idea of Walkman and presented it to the powers that be, and they came back and said, we will consider this proposal if you tell us what the next two generations of proposals and next steps would be. Always be thinking long-term about this. Do not be surprised by the need to have scenarios that go beyond this. So be ready in terms of all of that. I also think, and I've highlighted it in this conversation, the changes occur because we change our behavior. We change our mindsets. What do those behaviors and mindsets need to be? And how do we help people get there? We can't just tell them behave differently. There's a whole person involved in this. There's memories. There's history. There's our own individual dynamics of, of what we want to, how we want to present ourselves to the world. So know that helping people to do that behavior change will require a lot of them. It's not just saying it to them and expecting them to do it. Before we can ask them to make that kind of in-depth change, we have to have gone through it ourselves and have done a lot of reflection on that. So those are a few of the things I'd say to be ready to do. Wow, Wendy, that, that was very valuable. Thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Are there any final thoughts that you want to, to add or share with our listeners? Thank you, Danielle. I think the one thing, if I had us do one just now, is to know that each change circumstance is unique. The players are unique. The circumstance is unique. We can't have it all worked out. I looked up this statistic, but in terms of playing cards with 52 components, right? We have cards, we have a deck of cards. How many different ways could those come up? How many different combinations could those be dealt out? And apparently it's billions and billions. So we think we know what the cards are, but the way that they can be dealt out are billions of different ways. So expect the unexpected, know that each one is unique, be resilient, be light on your feet, and be able to move forward with what you know, what is dealt to you and rely on those around you. You do not have to be singularly the one. That's my only last piece of advice. Thanks so much, Wendy. It was great having you on When Women Lead Change. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Danielle, for inviting me.